Mom's parents died in a car accident. Yeah, I know, but my parents too. They are? Yeah, your mom's my sister. Yeah, I know. So that means we have the same parents. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's Dartboard Movie Night What's going on everyone? I'm Drew And I'm Jared And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night The podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide This week we delve deep into the human psyche with another debut from a major filmmaking talent It's also the breakout for one of the biggest stars of the last 20 years. We are talking 2000s You Can Count On Me, written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan and starring Laura Linney and a young Mark Ruffalo, Jared. Mark Ruffalo, dude. Mark himself. The the Mark that gets constantly apologized to at the end of almost every episode of this show so far. I mean, that begs the question, are we going to continue apologizing to Mark? I think I am for... At least this week, because I've got nothing better. I've had I've had several days to consider of a new like whatever you call it, outro, tag, shout out type of thing, and nothing springs to mind. I remember we used to joke about switching it to "fuck you, Sling Blade." <laughs> Once true. we got get over like, uh, but that doesn't feel completely right. It's uh, outdated. So. It's that's that's a year gone. Yeah, it is. It's old, baby. That's old. As old as the hills. We're not doing. It's like that. making a Harambe joke in two thousand twenty. Yeah, but uh, nothing else is really coming to mind, and I feel I still owe him, why not one more ap- apology at least? Because it did take us forever to get to this movie. It really did. It's been on the board since episode 10. Uh, the Aaron Brockovich episode was where I added it to uh, the board. And so, I mean, it's also going to be weird for me reading off the board without starting with You Can Count On Yeah. Me. I'm, I'm, it's been I'll 50 be vigilant episodes. for a stumble. It's been so long. And I mean, I don't know. People, they probably don't know. But should we get into what happened? That whole fiasco? Why don't, you, why don't you take that? So it was pretty early on in the show's history, as we're discussing. And we had just put that movie up and we hit it rather quickly. And at the time, while we were kind of finding our footing. To, just, to, just to add some details there. It went on the board on episode 10, and on episode 12, when Jared threw the dart. I hit it. I hit it. And and at that point, the whole purpose of this show is that there is a there is an element of chaos and randomness to it, and we have to trust the dart. But I don't play darts that much, and I was nervous that I was following falling into a pattern of hitting a bunch of the same numbers too often. And I was paranoid that that was going to kind of hurt the intention of the show. Like, we really want this to be pretty random. So I was kind of in my head about that. And we hit that. It's like, we just put it on. I think we have to throw again. So You that were was eager the... to get to some of the other original movies that we had gotten to the point. Yes, that sounds, that sounds right, too. So we just, um, for the first time in the show's history, and I hope last time, we decided to not trust the dart. We threw again. And it was a slap in the face to Mark Ruffalo, Kenneth Lonergan, Laura Linney, like everybody. Everyone got insulted by this decision. And that's why we always do the sorry, Mark. And it's been going on for so long because this is an ancient dartboard edition. Yep. It's, uh, is it the oldest movie on the list? I think, think so, yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me, man. It's been on there for almost, is it 50 clean? Like almost 50 episodes? It's it's 50 clean. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of the numbers, I mean, we, obviously yeah. we had like, you know, Fitzcarraldo, Burden of Dreams. We had stuff like right, the right, Unas. Right, right. We had other episodes in there, but it's been 50 in terms of board editions. Wow. That's it. That's a nice clean number, man. I love it. And I, and I'm really glad we did finally get to this movie. Me too. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about it and I think it's a movie that is probably going to be somewhat polarizing. So I'm excited to mm. I'm excited to hear what you think about it. But we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we will. We will. Before we do though, uh how about we run through the board as it currently stands? Love it, dude. At number one, today's episode, you can count on me. Number two, Akiru. Number three, Zed. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Nashville. Number 14, Straight Time. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. Number 20, Altered States. Hell yeah, dude. 2000s, you can count on me. Currently available on Canopy, with a K, and also pay to rent in other places. So if you're interested in checking this movie out, that's the best way to go about it. There you go. Um, Highly recommend checking it out on Canopy. Support your local public library, everyone. But uh, yeah, let's, let's get into the movie, shall we? Yes, yes. So this is a Drew Clark choice. I've been on a bit of a hot streak, so it's good to get some 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 Drew choices cooking well, again. Yeah, in the last ten, you have seven of them. Yeah, I mean that's just uh, that's a nice streak. But I'm I'm glad that uh, that we hit this one. Let me ask you the traditional question, Drew. What led you to putting this movie on the board, and like, how did you hear about it? How did you discover it? So I am familiar with this movie because I got into Kenneth Lonergan uh, a few years ago. I had seen Manchester by the Sea when it first came out. Um, I saw that one in theaters back in 2016, um, which is his most recent film starring Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams. And it's a, uh, a really amazing movie. I I didn't appreciate it, though, when I saw it in theaters. I found it to be kind of torture porn, you know, or, or not torture porn, but uh tragedy porn you know yes um and and i wasn't i wasn't totally over the moon for it the first time i saw it but during the pandemic i watched margaret his uh movie right before manchester by the sea which was fraught with production issues in terms or not production issues rather post-production issues where the editing process went on for super long they couldn't nail down a cut the studio ended up suing Kenneth Lonergan, uh, you know, for, for control of the movie. Uh, the movie that was released is not his cut, like Kenneth Lonergan's cut. So uh, you have to watch this, like, you know, low-res DVD version that they have as a special feature on HBO Max right now. Um, it's a three-hour-plus cut of the movie that's a fucking masterpiece. And I watched that during during uh, the, the pandemic and was just so blown away by it. Um, co- the... the the main supporting actor is Jeannie Berlin uh, from The Heartbreak Kid, and she's unbelievable in it. Um, and Anna Paquin is incredible. Uh, e. Jean Carroll's amazing in it. Uh, they, you know, you've got Matthew Broderick showing up. Matt Damon shows up. Uh, like it's it's a it's an incredible movie. You have to go watch it. Well, I'm super glad to hear that this other director's cut 
exists mm-hmm. and is you can track it down through you said HBO Max. Yeah, right? it's so if you go to the the movie Margaret on HBO Max and you scroll down on its page, there's a, a special feature that's the director's cut. That's that's fantastic that they did that. Ups to them. That's really cool. And I did look at Margaret today because, you know, I'm kind of seeing what else Lonergan has done and stuff. And I saw that cast. I mean, you mentioned some of those names. And I was like, this looks really good. I myself have never seen Margaret in any form. Um, I have seen Manchester by the Sea, but I have not seen Margaret. And I was like, oh, my God, Jean Renault. Like we talk about him from time to time. He's, he's in the Margaret cast somewhere. I was intrigued, but I did see that it was kind of like, yeah, people responded to it this way or that way. And I'm like, oh, I bet that was all for the quote unquote theatrical cut. And now that you've got this ringing endorsement, I'm definitely interested in checking it out on my own time. I am not the only one who shares this opinion either. It's I feel like Margaret has gotten a way more attention recently from like, you know, mm. uh, younger film critics, critics kind of discovering it and, and being like, holy shit, this is a masterpiece kind of thing. But anyway, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that movie's incredible. And off the back of that, I rewatched Manchester by the Sea and was just absolutely fucking floored by it. That movie is... Mm. is it it's also a masterpiece in my opinion. So I've I've kind of gotten to this place with Lonergan where I'm just like this guy it might be just a genius. Mm. And so I knew that he had this movie as his his debut and uh yeah, it just was one that had been on my list for a long time. So it, you know, the board seemed like a great place to put it. I felt like it at you know, at the time that I put it on, I feel like we were a little light on just kind of uh, you know, human drama kind of mm-hmm. stuff like that. We since have have added quite a few of those, and I'm I'm glad to see them pop up. Uh, you know, in the 50 episodes that <laughs> this has been on the board. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a movie that I've always wanted to to check out since you know I I got on the the Lonergan train as it is, and uh, I was excited to get to it. I mean, who knows? That's what's so weird about the board. It works in mysterious ways, and you just we just never know when we're gonna hit these things. Like you put it on there so long ago, over a year, I would guess. And like, just sometimes it just takes a while to get to it. But we get to it when the timing is right. You got to trust that dart. So Drew, since this was one of your choices, I'm going to start with you. Overall thoughts. What did you think of You Can Count On Me? I fucking loved it. Um, but it's not quite on the level of Margaret or Manchester by the Sea for me. Um, you can really tell how he evolves as a filmmaker when you see those those movies in comparison. But this movie is phenomenal, in my opinion. I think both the lead performances are excellent. Mark Ruffalo has that magnetic movie star energy already, like right out of the gates. It's very much in line with what Kenneth Lonergan seems to be mostly interested in, which is the way that humans process tragedy the way that he views these kinds of situations and the way that he writes his characters i think is just very honest and and unflinching like he's not afraid to show like the the dark side of of humanity and like the the mistakes we make you know in the face of like our our the shit that we're dealing with um and i think he's he builds like these characters that are simultaneously sympathetic and and that you like get angry at that you want to like stop doing what they're doing. And I think like, it's just so human and real to me. Like it's, it's got elements of like 
even like comedy interlaced in there. Like there's, there's levity. Like it's, his movies are, are deceptively funny for how depressing the, the, the subject matter tends to be. And this movie is right in line with that for me. So yeah, I, I really loved it. Um, how did you feel about it? And, and being what you're, you saw, you said you saw Manchester by the sea, right? Yeah, I saw Manchester by the Sea when it came out, and I remember liking it. I'm one of those people who gets really annoyed when a movie is derided as sad. Like, it bothers me. I'm like, well, that's a very legitimate emotion. Like, I don't I don't think that's not like a bad thing for a movie to be sad. Some people, I think, feel that way. Uh, same with songs. Some people are like, oh, what are you... What are you gonna cut your wrist? You listen to this sad song. It's like, what? Get fuck off. It's it's a great song, um, and I felt that way about Manchester by the Sea. Like, yes, it is sad, but it was very good. And like, you know, art should take the time to explore these emotions. Obviously, so uh, yeah, I thought it was gr- I thought it was great. I th- I think I've only seen it the once. Um, it, there was a lot of press about it too when it came out, so I think it was one of those I was kind of weighing it against my expectations, and it. It held up. I thought it was really, really good. And I did think Casey Affleck was great in it. And I did think it was heartbreaking. But I remember really digging it. But outside of that, that's the only thing I had seen of him before diving into You Can Count on Me. Well, and to be fair, there's only three movies. So there would only have been one other that you (laughs) could have seen. Yeah, it's not like there's 20 movies back there. But but yeah, I loved this movie. I thought it was excellent. Okay, great. uh, For some reason, I got the vibe in the pre-chat that you were going to be you know, more on the negative side with this. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a couple of tiny little pet peeves that we'll hit later on okay, in that that's, segment of the yeah, show and things okay. like that. But th- thinking about the movie as a whole, I just really loved it. And I was like, it kind of shows its age here and there a little bit, but I, I really dug it. It was just so stripped down, down the barrel and simple. And I love stories like that. I mean, yes, I love movies about gladiators and (laughs) I've never been in a Turkish prison, but I do like movies about gladiators. And I love, um, you know, I love big and crazy and wild, but I also love like super realistic and just um, stories about human beings interact and how do we trade each other and how do we handle these situations. And Drew very well knows, and people, I may have mentioned this on the show before, so people might know, I'm a really big fan of Joe Swanberg and what has been termed like the whole mumblecore movement. And, and Swan, Swanberg is a filmmaker who does a lot of different things. He does horror movies and things like that too. But he does these very basic human stories that I find fascinating. They're just so realistic. And so many of his characters are like, I know people like this. This is, and this is how life really is. You know, movies like Drinking Buddies and Happy Christmas I put in this category. And you can count on me is is kind of striking the same things for me that I like for, about those movies, where it's just like, I just, I see these people fully alive on the screen and they make so much sense and they're complicated and they fuck up and they have problems. And it's just a very believable story. This, this, this sibling pair that lost their parents at a very early age. And we see the, the devastating effect that that has had on Laura. Well, and how they both like, handle it differently. Yeah, he he sort of disconnects and feels like he can't really get invested in things, it seems, and is very sort of like kind of – I wouldn't say go with the flow because he definitely has a lot of agency and he makes a lot of mistakes. But he – I feel like he just kind of disconnects and severs away from things and mm-hmm. drifts from like town to town. And she is just this kind of very much a worry ward. And we get 
we get all the information. That well, we I think need more than that, though, I think she like she goes the opposite direction. She's like hyper controlled. Like she, yes. she like like even so far as like the Bob relationship, you know, she's like she is constantly jerking him around and like, you know, kind of in some ways using him because she like is, is retaining control over like every, every detail of her, her life in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's just such a simple movie. And I just was really kind of loving that about it. It's just like, this is just so real. And like, you know, I'm kind of jumping towards the end of the film here, but we, we can tell that Laura Linney is probably going to end up settling with Bob. You know what I mean? And it just seems so realistic. Like, that's kind of what happens to a lot of people in life. You know what I mean? Like, she's got this kind of not perfect relationship, but it's something. Well, and, and he's um, good to her, know. you know. Yeah, he's nice. And she kind of is kind of shitty to him, really. But you can tell that there's not, like, it doesn't appear to be a super deep connection between them. Yeah. And it just, I don't know. Every kind of twist and turn that the movie makes and its analysis of character... It all just adds up and makes sense to me. And I thought it was very well crafted, uh, very well made. The performances are what really stood out, though. The writing was excellent and, again, very realistic. But the the performances is what really sucked me in, including everybody everybody on the bill, with the exception of one person who I thought stunk. Yeah. But uh, well, we'll, else was great? We'll get to that then. Yeah, I'm yeah, curious yeah. to hear who that is. But uh, I think what you're kind of getting at that – is something that I really appreciate about Lonergan's work is um, they, so there's a, a New Yorker article that I will, I will link to in the, the show notes for this movie. But in that article, I feel like there, there are a number of quotes that I really loved and, and Ruffalo has a, has a few of them, but Ruffalo was talking about, you know, acting in, in Lonergan stuff. And he was talking about the characters that, that he writes. The quote was, you feel the inner processes of his characters End quote. The viewer, Ruffalo said, is often in the position of, quote, watching an actor think, which we rarely get to see on film. He went on, everyone wants to rush to words, but under the words, there are 10,000 words. We only see one pop up to the surface. That's how he approaches his work, which I think is like perfect. It's like all of Kenneth Lonergan's movies, they're well written, but they're they're concise in terms of the words they're using. Yes. So much yes. of what you're getting from the story is being told by the actors through what they're not saying and the the moments mm-hmm. of quiet that they have. Um, like the scene in this movie where Ruffalo and Kieran Culkin are playing pool, right? And mm-hmm. instead of showing you the game of pool, Lonergan just puts the camera on Ruffalo and Culkin watching the other guy hit the balls. Mm-hmm. And the calculation going on in Ruffalo's head of like, are we going to be able to, to take this guy? Like, like mm-hmm. it, it's all happening under the surface. Like none of it is told to you. It's a wink or a nod or, you know. Exactly. And there's that shot that he clearly misses the eight ball on purpose just to leave it for his nephew to, mm-hmm. to clean it up. And like, oh, well, I guess he did. He does do that, but he can't know that the shot's going to be easy because the other player goes and almost runs the table mm-hmm. and almost gets him back into it. Um, but yeah, then it just kind of settles on that great scene of the kid making the shot. And um, you're right. It's all unspoken. It's like visual. It is very concise. And it these this movie does not have like, a ton of big sprawling monologues or speeches. Like that's another way that I find it to be really very realistic is like, it's just very stripped down 
and like and again a lot going on on the surface but the the word choices are very um yeah they're very they're very concise so that's all i got <laughs> no no i i but it, it's it's so human in that way too because we don't like spout off everything we're thinking or feeling no. at every moment like it's it's like a you know i don't know it just feels so natural and lived in all of his movies yeah yeah i have a feeling it's going to be a lingerer linger i think this is going to be one that uh is going to be clinging to me a little bit over yeah. the next couple of weeks there's there's a lot going on here let's talk a little bit about lonergan's history i want to just kind of back up a little bit so sure you know lonergan first started as a screenwriter and a playwright and uh weirdly when you go to his imdb he's got two episodes of the the cartoon doug on his IMDb, oh, really? which is crazy. I love that cartoon. Yeah, yeah. He's got <laughs> yeah, yeah. two episodes that he wrote of that in 1993. Um, but he got his Hollywood break in 99 with Analyze This. He wrote the, the original screenplay for, for that movie with De Niro and uh, Billy Crystal. Um, and he, I, I mean, he must have made a, a really good amount of money off of that because that movie made $100 million and was like a big deal at the time. So... Um, that was his real breakout in Hollywood. But before that, he was doing, you know, plays off Broadway. And his big, his first big one that, that gained a lot of notoriety was uh, This Is Our Youth in 1996. And in that cast, you had Josh Hamilton and a young Mark Ruffalo. So that's the first time they worked together. So Ruffalo is like one of these collaborators that shows up like in, in you know, a lot of Lonergan's history. Like same thing with like Matt Damon and... Uh, Casey Affleck, like they've all been in plays of of Kenneth Lonergan's in in New York. The original cast was Mark Ruffalo and Josh Hamilton, and then like subsequently, you had people like Jake Gyllenhaal, Hayden Christensen, Anna Paquin, um, you know Casey Affleck, Matt Damon, Kieran Culkin, Colin Hanks, and most recently Michael Sarah did this play. Mm, wow, Sarah's been working a lot with Lonergan uh, because. Lonergan's next big play was uh, in 1999, The Waverly Gallery. I don't remember who was in the original cast, but the 2019 revival had Lucas Hedges from Manchester by the Sea, Joan Allen, Michael Sarah, and one of this show's personal favorites, Elaine May, who won a Tony for that, that show that year. For that performance, yeah. She is a complete and total big dog of the show. Like, we, I wish we could get one of her movies up. Maybe we will someday. But we are huge Elaine May fans around here. Huge. But yeah, so so that's kind of like what he was doing on Broadway. And then in 2000, this was his, his breakout. Um, this movie was executive produced by Martin Scorsese. I saw that in the, t- in the creds. They yeah. are friends because Martin Scorsese's wife had auditioned for one of uh, Kenneth Lonergan's plays. They, so they became friends during that process. And then uh, Scorsese helped him get this made. And I guess like kind of shielded him from the studio in the mm-hmm. sense of like he was helping him protect his final cut. Um, mm-hmm. There's actually, I, I can't remember if it's the theatrical release or a different cut, but Scorsese actually did a cut on Margaret um, to try and like help preserve Lonergan's vision of that movie when they were going through all those disputes. So like, he's got a lot of history with, with, uh, with Lonergan uh, Scorsese does. Um, so he's a real ally. Mm-hmm. He's a real ally to Lonergan. And it's cool, too, because I see his name pop up on the screen as producer, Mar- produced by Martin Scorsese, among others. 
And I don't know anything about this movie before firing it up today. You know, I'm just going in very fresh. I had forgotten that it was the Manchester by the Sea guy. But the movie just kind of opens up and unfolds. And I'm like, oh, it's so cool that Scorsese produced this. Because it's clear that, like, he saw that there was something here. But it's so unlike his actual style. Like, I just think it was cool. It was very much like Lonergan, his vibe, I suppose. You're saying he does seem to have a sort of through line and a style to him. Mm -hmm. And it's so unlike Scorsese, but like, of course, Scorsese can recognize that it's still amazing. It's just very different than what I would picture a Martin Scorsese movie being. Yeah, I mean, I got to believe that Scorsese is really just latching on to Lonergan's work with character and just, you know, you know, the way that he, he writes his, his characters is just so unique to him. I feel like in a way, um, I mean, there's a reason, you know, Scorsese then had Kenneth Lonergan co-write Gangs of New York a couple of years after this movie as well. So they've, they've worked together, uh, on a more direct capacity as well. Yeah. And, um, as we look at this movie for what it is, it makes total sense that he is a play guy that Lonergan does, plays and has a background in theater and still kind of seems like kind of a Mike Nichols type where he goes back and forth and like sometimes he'll do a play sometimes he'll do a movie and when someone has that sort of dual threat capability to direct both theater and film Mm -hmm. it always must be a fascinating decision when they decide no this is a movie and then no no this is a play and it makes sense when we see this movie for what it is it's like oh I could see a world where this is on the stage Mm -hmm. But something must have made him be like, no, this is a movie. And I remember hearing Nichols talk about it once where he was talking about Carnal Knowledge, which was originally designed to be a play. And he realized, he's like, no, it has to be a movie because there's a scene where Jack Nicholson is talking to his girlfriend and he's just being so mean to her. And he's and she's just kind of sit there and sitting there and like sadly taking it. And Nichols realized like, you can't we can't have this be a play because the audience is going to be watching Nicholson because he's talking. Mm. But we need to be focused on her reaction. That's what this scene is actually about. And you need a camera to do that. You need a camera to be selective and direct you into what you need to be looking at. That's interesting. And um yeah, so it's just cool when these guys can do both things. And uh it's I'd love to see a Lonergan play like on his feet in New York sometime. That would be really cool. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I would I would be very excited to check that out. Well, as I mentioned, Kenneth Lonergan has kind of a rotating cast of characters, you know, yeah. that, that are three. He's kind of a Wes he's Anderson got a type, or you know, yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. maybe a Scorsese type in some ways too. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But he, you know, he's got a stable of actors that show up on, both in his plays and on on the screen in his movies. I don't know that Laura Linney is one of them. I, I've I've mm. not seen her. I, I don't think she's in any other Lonergan work other than this. But how did you feel about her in this movie? And what's your background with her overall? God, she was so awesome in this movie. Unbelievable. One of my favorite performances we've done so far in this batch of 50. I thought it was really special and really something else. In terms of my overall vibe with Laura Linney, I really became familiar with her through John Adams, the HBO miniseries. Sure. That where she stars across from. Um, she plays Abigail Adams. Yeah, she plays Abigail Adams, the wife of John Adams, who's played fantastically by Paul Giamatti. Drew and I are both big Giamatti fans, but that was the first time she really pinged my radar, where I was like, "Who is this person?" 
and she was so good in that show too. And then ever since then, I've seen her like here and there. And every time she pops up, I'm excited to see her. And she always delivers. Like she never really falters, it seems. But I don't know if I'd ever really seen a movie or a story where she was really one of the central characters. I mean, she is in John Adams, but like this story in many ways is about her, I think. And I hadn't really seen her steer the ship that much. Is, is she in Savages as well? With Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay. So I had bought that movie on DVD when I was young and watched like half of it and just never returned to it. I've hmm. always wanted to go back and see it again. But point being, I haven't seen her kind of be the central force in a lot of stories. So this was kind of in, in some ways the, First time I had that experience with her, mm -hmm. and I was floored. And now I'm kind of on the prowl for more Laura Linney performances because she really stunned me in this and had a couple of moments where I was just like, oh my gosh, look at that. She's so fantastic. And one that really comes to mind is when she starts having the affair with Matthew Broderick and she's driving away mm -hmm. from the mm -hmm. motel. And there's that probably 15-second scene where she – kind of tapers back and forth between shame and excitement and nervousness and thinking about how it could all fall apart. And it's no words. It's all just sounds and face. And it's amazing. She goes all over the world in like 15 seconds and you just see it all just dancing across her face. And, and it was just so complicated and so had so much layers to it. And it was just awesome to literally see her mind like, pacing back and forth through these various emotions and it's just like god she is great she's and that's really just one example that. of many yes well and you, non you and non-verbally too like yeah, like that's yeah. what i love is like that again going back to what we were saying like kenneth lonergan's characters tell you so much more by what they don't say you know and where where they're not talking um, oh especially even early on when like the disappointment starts to fall on her she's realizing why her brother is really here and she's trying to like hold and, the smile but yeah yeah and you could just see it sinking in it's like he is he's in need of something this is a this is a move out of desperation this is not a move out of love right and as that dawns on her it's just so sad it's just heartbreaking to watch she does it so damn well but yeah it sounds like you you, you super dug it too i did yeah i've i mean i've been a fan of laura lenny for for a little while um but the the performance for, that stands out for me is her in uh, the Truman Show. Mm. She is oh she the so girl, is she good. the love interest in that she is and but yeah, the, the moments where she's trying to hold it together because she can see Truman starting to to see through the facade, and mm -hmm. she's you know trying to act the the bubbly leave it to Beaver you know kind of persona and 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 power through it and she's breaking it's it's some of the best acting work I've seen mm. it's so fucking good. God, I have to see that movie again. I haven't seen it in so long, and it's a it's a really good movie. Oh, it's I'm incredible. almost underrated. Peter Weir it's is one of the movie. best directors working today, and he hasn't made a movie in forever, and he needs to make a movie. But yeah, I think you know the the scene for me that stands out in this movie is when she's talking to the priest, and mm. uh, or the I don't know Reverend or whatever he is. Yeah, preacher. yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know what he is, but um, when she's talking to him and. By the way, that is Kenneth Lonergan playing that that priest mm -hmm. there. And mm -hmm. I just love the way that she kind of 
she enters that conversation wanting to be chastised. Like she wants this priest to tell her she's been a shitty person, you know, Mm -hmm. in some way that like will alleviate the discourse in her own head around like whether she's doing a terrible thing or if she's like, you know, justified in doing what she's doing. Like she wants him to come down on her and he won't do it. And just (laughs) like, like, I, I think it's just, it's, she wants the easy answer to like the complexity of life and mm-hmm. he won't give it to her and, and just watching her be like, no, no, come on. Like, please. Like, just, I don't know. I need, it's just, I need my nose rubbed in it a little bit and he's just not there for that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. Just watching her process that and, and, you know, try and talk through like her shame in that way. It was, it's just, it's, it's a really, really amazing little performance. Yeah, it's kind of a reoccurring statement that I feel like I make on this show. But, and no scene in this movie did I see her doing something and think, that's a little off. Like, not once did I think that. No. Like she she d- seems to manage every tightrope and every scene and every word choice and twist of phrase. And everything is right. Everything just hums and is making sense to me. And his reading is just authentic. And just ultra realistic. I love the performance. I agree. How'd you feel about Mock? Mock. I thought he was really, really good. Um, I Could you see why as... he was like from this got so much notoriety? Yeah, it's because it's a because it's a it's very well played. First of all, and it's a super interesting character. This sort of kind of self-sabotaging, a little bit explosive, wayward drifter type who does have a good heart and uh, certainly wants to be a good person. And, and many times throughout this movie, he is a, a very good person. Um, but he's he's complicated. He's got a lot of problems. He's got a lot of baggage. Um, you know, he has a temper. He is kind of flaky at times, but he also does come through. I think it's a really difficult performance to get right because if he goes a little too heavy-handed with the kind of soppy, sappy, mopey guy coming in from out of town and nothing's going right in his life. It can be really easy to roll your eyes at something like that if it's not done the right way. Mm -hmm. So he is really, I think, sort of like plate spinning a lot in these scenes where he's trying to get this sort of like desperate, luckless guy, but also someone who has like, who has a spark and has interesting things about them. And I think he does a really good job about balancing those things where we like, we like this guy, we're rooting for him, but we see his complications and we're kind of, we're kind of, we kind of get upset when he has these stumbles in life and these staggers and makes these bad choices. And I really think he handles it well. I don't know why I feel the need to compare them, but I would just say to get this out there, I was myself a little bit more impressed with Laura Linney in this. I, she was really who, stole the show for me. I was like, oh, I she agree. is amazing. She, and, she's the knockout, yeah, but yeah, she's just a, a complete KO, but um, yeah, no shade to Mac Ruffalo at all. I thought he was really good and, and it was fun seeing him this, this, this young and, and he's someone I've always liked. I remember he really came on my radar in a serious way in the kids are all right. You ever seen that movie? Great movie. Yeah. Yeah, really, really good movie. And that's when I first, like, that was my who is this moment with him. I think that was before he got the Hulk, but I can't remember. 
You didn't. I mean, he's great in Zodiac. He's great in Spotlight. He's great in, uh, or I guess Spotlight was after what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, oh, and the Avengers is 2012. So yeah, you were right. He he got that afterwards. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I just I like him, and I like that his career has gone really well. I think he's great. Has he been anything recently? Well, he's been doing. I mean, a lot of the the Marvel stuff recently, which has right, been kind of right. annoying to, to which watch. Which is fine, you know. He he's cashed a check. He's do, yeah. he does it well. Stop, please stop. Um, <laughs> he did the Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds in 2022, which is a terrible, terrible movie. Yeah, you hate that movie. I, I hate Ryan Reynolds. Um, <laughs> you hate? No, he seems like a fine person you just don't like his you don't like his screen persona i don't like his shtick has worn thin on me for for a long time now i kind of want to see that movie where he gets buried alive i want to check that out buried is that what it's called buried yeah yeah yeah. i was like oh i'd like to see that side of him potentially like going for something emotional but yeah um but anyway, no, he was in a, he was in a Todd Haynes movie in 2019 called Dark Waters, which is one that I've considered putting on the board for for a while now. That's the mm. guy who made um, Carol, uh, which is I don't know cr- Carol. You don't know Carol? Oh my god, no. dude, Carol is a beautiful film. Uh, are there any other kind of for you iconic Ruffalo performances that like stand out as like, well, you really loved him in this or that? Well, like I said, I, I love Spotlight. I mean, that movie is a movie that I can watch endlessly. I don't know why. It's just it, that that's a chicken soup movie for me in yeah, a weird dude. way, well, it's <laughs> just, got so despite many, it being <laughs> about child rape. <laughs> dude, it's got so many Drew overlaps of like it's about corruption uh, in religion. Fight and the it's system. About, it's about uh, investigations and there's paper trails and phone calls and click clacks. And like it's just very... You gotta get to the bottom it's competency of this. porn. Yeah, you got to smoke these rats out. There's like just you know, there's just yeah, it's just very dreary. I totally get why you love 100%. that movie. Hundred yeah. percent. Um, I also love Zodiac, as I, I mentioned before. Um, I love uh, Shutter Island. He's great in Shutter Island. Oh, he is really good in that. I yeah. forgot. He's my favorite part about that movie. Yeah, he really like the whole movie. Kind of spoiler alert for Shutter Island, but. That look he gives at the end of the movie. Well, we don't need to spoil it beyond that. No, I'll I'll just just speak vaguely. We all know the look. Yeah. Those who've seen the movie, we all know the look I'm talking about. In many ways, the entire movie rests on that look. Like, it's like everything. And it's just the perfect, heartbreaking read on how to do that, like, head shake. It's unbelievable. I'll leave it there. No, it's it's fantastic. Um, Yeah. So yeah, he's he's an actor that I just I love seeing in in pretty much everything. You know what's another one of his that I want to rewatch is Ryan Johnson's Brothers Bloom. Ooh, I, I don't years. I haven't seen that one. It came out in two thousand eight. It was his follow up to Brick. So it was like Brick, then Brothers Bloom, then Looper. And Dude, I think I got Brothers Bloom confused with Brothers Grimm somewhere along oh, the line. No, no, no. I twisted Very different those up. Movies. This is a con man yeah. movie. Oh, dude! I you know I love the Sting, and I love a good con man movie. Yeah, but it's him, Adrian Brody, and Rachel Vice, and uh, Rink, and Rinko Kikuchi, I believe, is also in it. Uh, but anyway, one I, yeah, I'd like to see on the board. That sounds good to me, man. Well, maybe that's yeah, actually maybe. not a bad idea. Yeah, you got a little. You got a little. Doesn't hold up. You get to check back in with one. It's a Ryan Johnson movie I haven't seen. I don't think we've done a Ryan Johnson movie on the show before. We have we not. Love, oh, we we we. we Tipped our hat to him on the last of Sheila episode, but but yeah, that I I'd be game. Nope, no pressure, but I'd be game. Okay, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, and you and you and you loved him in this, right? 
Mark in this is just Mark in this great. is fantastic. I mean, yeah. he. I really love watching him try and navigate the relationship with Rudy, especially. Mm-hmm. I think the way that you can watch him, like making the wrong decisions, like we we've said about you know this movie, like like. Well, it's cool because he he obviously pushes things too far sometimes, but he also makes some really great choices with Rudy as well. So there's like things like the pool situation. Like I think that's a really good moment of of like like even though it's yeah, he's pushing the envelope a little bit with taking this kid to this bar. It is helping the kid kind of feel more confident and more like himself it's a fun thing to do like it's kind of when he's giving him a, him a male a, a positive male yeah. role model but one that isn't going to um like he's not going to come down on him like he's he's not yeah. he's not there to be a disciplinarian but he's going to like help him grow in a way yeah because his his fear for rudy is that rudy's life is too sheltered and too restricted for, by his mother's worry and his mother's concern and her mm-hmm. parenting style. So he is obviously trying to open the kid's world up a little bit and just be like, there's more. You can do this. You can do that. And if the time he really takes it too far, of course, is just going to the father's house with yeah. the kid without consulting anybody and that whole situation obviously exploding. So there's plenty of times where he just takes this philosophy of like, kid's got to grow up sometime way too far well and he's only but, eight like yeah he's only know. eight but he also does those have those things like taking him to the construction site teaching him how to hammer a nail so it's right. like a wonderful mixed bag of like really good decisions and really terrible ones and again all very realistic yeah it's just nice to watch some a, a character trying to figure it out and not always succeeding you know yes yes absolutely kind of like the trial and error process in that way mm-hmm yeah, it's it's a, it's very very strong. Well, and the psychology that you can see under the surface too of like Ruffalo's character, like the insecurities there, like he he has mm-hmm. to be like in control of the situation in a way, and when that control is like ripped away from him, he pouts like a little baby, mm-hmm. you know, like the plumber coming and like he's like all pouty, mm-hmm. like because the plumber like does the work that he wanted to do, or like oh. when he feels like. Uh, Rudy ratted on him for taking mm-hmm. him to the bar, and as a result, he doesn't take him on the fishing trip or whatever. Yeah, like, he he gets very childish at times. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really. These... But Ruffalo plays it beautifully. Oh, he really does. He really does. I think too. It's not necessarily what you're saying, because it's kind of a big emotional moment. Is that time he he. He gets off the phone and realizes this woman he's seeing has attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. And he's like taking his shoes off. And Laura Linney is like, I think you should stay here for a little while. And he breaks down crying. And it just like cuts away really quick. It's like really impactful moment mm-hmm. of like he's trying to keep it together. He's trying to remain tough. And then he just collapses for like the last two to three seconds of the scene. It's fantastic performance wise. And then there's that moment where he's smoking weed with his sister outside. It's nighttime. They're just gazing at the stars. And a moth flies by. And he just completely embraces the reality of what's happening by staying, by, while staying in the performance. And like lets his hand come out and the butterfly, like uh, the moth, like nests, lands on his roosts. I guess it roosts. The, the moth roosts down on his hand. And he just like... He was so organic and natural with that 
curveball that the universe kind of threw him in that moment. Mm-hmm. And he just stays, he, he, he rolls with what is provided to him in the moment, but he, and he stays locked in the scene. And that's when I was just like, Oh shit, dude, that is, that is hot right there. Like well, it's, performance wise is sick. Well, there was actually a quote in that New Yorker article from Ruffalo again, talking about that exact scene. Mm. He said, he explained to me, this is the writer talking. Mm-hmm. He explained to me that the moth flew into frame by accident. Quote, I've been in scenes with actors on other movies. If a moth flies into the scene, they kill the moth. It's a nuisance. It's not acceptable. But in this film, we continue the scene because we know that we're living moment to moment with the kind of openness that Kenny wants us to have with each other, listening and responding. We say yes to it. It lands on my hand and we just continue talking as it's walking on my hand and then it flies away again. It was probably one of the most profound moments I've had as an actor where the world collided with the work and it was seamless. Afterward, Kenny came running over and he said, oh my God, the moth. And he was so happy. See, that's what I'm talking about. He sounds like the type of filmmaker I love. People who, you know, Herzog was kind of like this too. People who are open to... They live in the moment. Yeah. They live in the moment. They're like, you can only... like, And I get what the kind of article is saying. Some actors get annoyed by like... Was what Ruffalo is saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some people get annoyed or like, no, this is continuity is going to be a problem. It's like, throw all that shit away. Be You could never capture that moment again. That's a one-time deal where the moth chooses to do that. That's so much more important than like anything else in my mind. It's so great. And I'm glad that they, I'm glad that that moment was big for them too, because I saw it and I, I felt that magic seeing mm-hmm. it. I was like, this fucking not CGI. No, this is not bullshit. This is a real moment. And he just, he like charmed this butterfly but kept going with the lines. It was really something else. Yeah, it's it's a pretty crazy moment uh, that yeah. they were able to, able to capture. Um, and also, they don't cut. That's no. one. That's a wide, uh, however long that scene it's is, long, ninety seconds. Yeah. And and so he, it's not like they like captured that one butterfly moment, but then got in there from different takes, like different angles from different takes. It's all one take, mm-hmm. and it's really something else. Absolutely, it's it's incredible. Um, Let's talk about Rory Culkin. Hell yeah, dude. You you have been kind of hit or miss with kid performances in the past. How did you mm-hmm. feel about him in this movie? Oh, this is a hit. This nice. is an excellent, excellent performance. I thought he was great. And, and it very well written, too. Like, like just it does have that sort of childish thing. Like, I think of, like, when they're in the car, and he's Mark Ruffalo is explaining how they're sisters, and they have the same parents, and the kid has that realization of, like, oh, shit, right. It just seemed really genuine. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the buzzword for this movie, as I see it. It's a very genuine seeming movie, mm-hmm. and Rory's performance is 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 in line with that whole theme. It's yeah. I read it as authentic. Another person, no really false notes, and then we're talking about a child actor. I thought he crushed it. At no point was I was like, oh, that was bad. He's yeah. just hitting the hitting the line there. He did a really really good job. I thought. He's he's a very stoic actor, but he's a he's a really good actor. Like he's he's very <laughs> serious a lot of the time. He's also in Signs 2 years after this, the the M Night Shyamalan movie. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of the same stuff where it's very he's very stoic and very deadpan and and monotone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but it really works and the, and I think he's great in this and like, you know, it's it's again in line with the thing where you're like you can watch 
him processing things around him and like processing what's happening. Like, like you're saying, like when he's like figuring out that, you know, Terry and, and Sammy are, are brother and sister, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, mental processes going mm-hmm. on, you can watch that happening yeah. in the performance. And that's pretty amazing to say about a, a kid performance. Totally. So, and that totally fits in with, I think what you said, Ruffalo said about Lonergan, which is like, he lets the actors, he shows them thinking. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, that's a great example of that. hundred like percent. Yeah. He was, he was awesome. We also have Matthew Broderick in this movie. Mm, we sure do. It's uh, We've one never year... talked about him. Isn't no, we wild? haven't. Well, I mean, is it though? He's not like in a ton of movies. He's more of a Broadway guy. That's true. That's true. Um, how do you feel about Broderick in general, both within this performance and outside of it? I love Broderick. He's awesome. Um, I mean, Ferris Bueller's a formative movie for sure. I watched that so many times when I was a kid. And I haven't seen the original. I know that the original is considered a much better movie, but I really like the producers. I think he's great in that. Um, I, election, the the Alexander Payne election, not the not, election that's on our board. <laughs> Dude, people are going to be so confused. Like, we're talking, yeah, different films. We are not yet covering election Alexander Payne on the show. 1999's Alexander Payne directed and written movie election with Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick is phenomenal and one of my all-time favorites. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, um, I, I've, I wish I could say I've seen him on Broadway, but you know I've never lived in New York, so I haven't really had the opportunity. And uh, I, but I would love to. He's he's definitely an actor that I find uh, extremely charming and and love watching him anytime he shows up. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah. You know, I don't. I just don't know about this Matthew Broderick guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love him. I really do. And I'm as I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, he never really changes. He's always sort of the same guy. But he is a very good actor. But like, it's not like his characters all have the same rhythm, I feel like. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. But he did do something in this movie that kind of floored me. So I'm kind of, I'm going to walk it back a little bit. The movie starts, he shows up for the first time. And she walks in the office and he's like, moving a box around. And I don't know, as we've discussed, I don't know anything about this movie. I don't know where this character is going. Instantly, I'm like, I don't like this guy. And then the conversation starts, and it starts to go downhill, like pretty quickly, but eventually. Mm-hmm. And he he is clearly ter- be- becoming an asshole verbally, or just a, a nuisance at least. And I was thinking, like, how did he do that? How did he make me not like him just physically? I don't know what it was like magic. I was like, I, I I got on the page instantly with him of like what he was going for in terms of from a performance level. And I don't know how he did it. I thought, so that was like, that's really cool. Did you feel that way when you first met him? Were you like, fuck this guy for some reason? Um, I think so. Yeah, I I, I... I definitely didn't trust him immediately, so I'm I'm with you yeah. there. I don't I don't know exactly what he does to get. Yeah, that I don't know what he did. It was really cool. He kind of does a similar thing in election, where like, he, you know, he's positioned as the protagonist of that movie mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, it's it's, it's an ensemble movie uh, more than anything, but I think he is like he's driving much of most of that story, and. The whole time you're following him and you're like, 
Oh, I don't like that he's doing that. Oh, I really don't like that he's doing that. Oh, dude, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you just like you're you're <laughs> yeah. going down the rabbit hole with him. Mm-hmm. And every time, you know, he's narrating a lot of it. So like you're just you have Matthew Broderick's narration voice, you know, going over the thing and, you know, trying to convince you that what he's doing is the only logical thing to be doing. And you're just like, no, no, it's not <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. You're fucking up, dude. But he's doing a similar thing in that movie where you're you're watching him and you're just like, I just don't trust this guy. Why yeah. are you doing this? And also another juicy affair movie for Matthew Broderick. This is a big affair guy. I don't know what he's doing. He plays like <laughs> sad sack, but also like sad sack that got himself into his own mess so mm-hmm. well. Yeah, he does do that very well. And it should be said, I view him certainly as the antagonist of this film. You could make an argument for uh, Rudy's father as well. but I don't like, think there is an antagonist, really. It's just like people that are yeah. shittier than others. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, but I, he's he's complicated, like, like all these characters are. And like he's not, even though I really didn't like him and I don't think the movie wants me to like him, he's not like a straight-up asshole. Like when he gets in these arguments with Laura Linney, like sometimes he makes some good points. Like she straight up like calls him... He like insane and he's just like don't talk to me like that and it's like yeah it's just kind of like she is kind of going bigger here and speaking pretty inappropriately to her boss well and he's and she's he's having control she's having control ripped away yeah. from her and yeah. he's he's coming in as this new manager and he's over exerting control they're the yes. same person and that's why they end up wanting to have sex is because like yeah. they like they have the same issue and they are just not recognizing it in themselves. They're only seeing yeah. it in the other person. Yeah. Do you buy their affair? I don't. That, that's I don't really of, either. Is that one of your yeah. quibbles with it? I Because I yeah. tend to agree with you. Like, well, I don't know. Let's, let's talk through it. Because my gut is saying, like, when it happened in the moment, it's like, that came out of nowhere. It went there. They're eating cheeseburgers. And the next thing you know, they're banging away in a car. Um, but maybe that's how affairs happen. I've never been really an affair guy, so I don't know, but maybe they do just, maybe they do kind of come out of nowhere. Maybe they are kind of like, what, where did that come from? Cause that's how it felt to me. But now I'm wondering if that's commendable or not. I can't, I can't decide. What do you yeah, think? I think, I think I intellectually understand it in the sense of like, I, I know why Lonergan is positioning them for that, but in terms of execution, like in terms of like how they they show them falling for each other and like deciding to do that. I, I don't, I'm with you. It's very abrupt. Yeah. I think abrupt can make sense for an affair situation like that in terms of like how, how to portray it because it is, you do want to show these characters as making kind of a split second mistake decision rather than like portray it as like a calculated thing. Um, but I think there is like, you know, it's kind of like a childish, attachment of like where you bully each other and like that's you saying you're you're into the other person you know yeah like like when you're like eight years old and you're like picking on yeah 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 i know because like i think like all their their early fights that they have are just like all about petty stupid shit 
you know yeah. and a lot of that's on broderick's part like where he's like nitpicking about the <laughs> color like they make their monitor <laughs> yeah i like paperwork shit like that it's just like dude fuck off you're doing this yeah. to to <laughs> like like you know control these people you're not doing it for any particular reason yeah um, he is he, he does do that so well dude that kind of smarmy annoying manager he but also it can be it. it can be a turn on to to fight with people in a way you know like there we've all had those relationships where you fought constantly but for some reason that made it hotter you know oh yeah <laughs> and so like i think i think all of that is what they're getting at with this i just don't think they totally stick the landing on it yeah yeah not a ca- not a catastrophic failure but my gut is that i agree with you and it did it did seem a little overly accelerated and it did seem a little disingenuous but those things could have been in- intentional but certainly not a huge stain on the movie in my opinion how do you feel about his reaction to her breaking it off Dude, that, that happened so quick. I missed it for a second. I was like, wait, what? I think I was taking a note on what I thought about the movie. And I look up and I was like, wait, he's leaving? She's gone? It's over? It's over just like that? Yeah. Um, I I don't know. It just, it, it did show that it really was, it really was just a fling. It wasn't like huge emotional connections. It was just exciting. It was an exciting sort of thing. And it did show that there didn't appear to be any emotional stakes in it, you know? Yeah. And I kind of liked it for that reason. I liked the abruptness of it because it's, it's just kind of like he recognized, they, they both know that they're making a mistake. Like they, they it's not continue. like there's yeah. no delusion on either side of it that this is going to be a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah. I don't think that there's any point in the movie where it feels like that. Like mm-hmm. there's the one moment where she's like having the breakdown and she calls his house and his wife picks up and she like hangs up really quickly. Rookie move. Rookie well, move, yeah, she was in a she was in an emotional state, you know, yeah. I, I, she gets a pass. But, you know, I think like that's the closest it ever got to like becoming an actual like emotionally attached thing. Mm-hmm. And that really just felt like, you know, anxious attachment on her part of just like clinging, like or, like reaching out and like trying to like have anything to, to, you know, distract her from like the pain she's feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. And she goes running back to Bob. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is like she like she treats Bob like a piece of shit, and like she's really kind of mean to him, in in many ways. Mm-hmm. And he's also kind of delusional about what they are or what he thinks they should be. Mm-hmm. And yet we're still rooting for her. I I, I certainly am as a, as a character. I'm rooting well, yeah, for her. because we and recognize like, that people can have flaws and they can still yeah. be good people. And this is this movie shines a spotlight on what I react to versus, say, like a James Cameron type, which we talked a lot about in the Terminator. Oh, episode. come on! They're all so simple. They, these characters are complicated. They fuck up. They can be mean to each other. They make mistakes. And there's so much more here. I feel like that kind of wraps up performances a bit, Drew. Is there anyone else you wanted to give a shout out to, or or anything like that? Well, we should probably mention Josh Lucas, who plays Rudy Senior. Yes, yes, yes. That's who I was thinking too. Yeah. He's really, he's a, a talented actor who I feel like never totally got his due. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he's, he could have been a great leading man and, and he just didn't get cast in the right stuff. Uh, but mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's a really talented actor. what do you think of him in this? Great. Really great. Um, I had a little bit of doubt about how the character was written. Like, I know this guy is an asshole and a problem and a coward, but he was the only character in the movie from a writing perspective where it's like, I don't know if I buy that this person is this big of an asshole, but maybe he is. And, um, 
I don't know, man. Don't people know. are shitty. And like, I, I think true. like the way that Lucas plays him, I think sells the character better than it is written. I think yes, he, yes. there's a lot of like regret and, and fear going on in his, his face when he's answering the door, you know, and he's being confronted with this and he knows immediately what it is. Like, like the recognition of, of who this kid is, is, is almost immediate. And then it's just him like being like backed into a corner. Like, what are you doing? What are you, like, what are you doing to me? Like, don't, don't do this. Don't do this right now. You know, it's like, it's, it's like pleading almost, but he's not saying that. Yeah, and then and then Ruffalo just explodes. That was that really was a great scene. Now that we're really into it, I, I I drop what I said. I drop what I said about him like being not believable. Like he already is completely wants nothing to do with this kid's life. So it does make sense that he reacts this way. And hey, he didn't press charges. He definitely could have. Well, and it's the kind of thing where like you know that's such a insane thing to do on Ruffalo's part to take that kid there Mm -hmm. that like, you know, it's, it's something that this guy, Rudy senior could never have seen coming because he's just like, what, what right thinking person would ever think to bring this kid here unannounced and just show up on my door with that? Like, yeah, he probably never even considered that to be something that could ever happen. Mm -hmm. Yep. So like, like the shock and the, the reaction is just, I, I think Lucas plays it really, really well. Any others that you you could think of? None for actors that I can think of, but everyone... Oh, wait a minute. I have to say my gripe. Almost all the actors, I think, are stupendous in this movie, with one exception. Kenneth Lonergan. He you stinks. don't like him? He stinks. He's bad. I don't mind it at all. It didn't He's bother bad. me. Give that, give that role to an actor. He was so stodgy, and like I just didn't buy it. I was like, okay. this is not good. Fair enough. It didn't hey, bother me. Kenneth, if you're listening, great film you made, amazing writing, stupendous. Acting, not so much. Leave that to the actors. Yeah, leave that to the, to the actors for sure. <laughs> All right. But that's it for me uh, performance-wise. Well, I think we're kind of into final notes territory then. Are there yeah. any final notes you want to make on You Can Count On Me? Let's check my note situation here. I I saw on like a special feature on the DVD that that Lonergan had this started as a one act play, and the mm. one act play initially was just that breakfast conversation that the two siblings have the first time they reunite, and it's pretty much as the play was written, like the the scene I think is very similar to the play. Interesting. And so he had these characters kicking around, and he's like, I think there's more here. And he watered the plant and grew the movie out there. But it was originally a one-act play of just that scene. Interesting. Uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Wanted to give a shout-out to a great, great needle drop in this movie. Great use of music. And it was that other woman song as she's driving to really start the affair. And it like the song, she's in the car and the song starts off. And it's like, I have an announcement to make. Like, I'm the other woman. It's just a sexy kind of cool country song Mm -hmm. and it just was i mean yeah you could say it's a little on the nose but i loved it i thought it was a really great song choice there um but beyond that drew beyond notes i only have peeves remaining do you got any notes you want to hit you want to end with peeves well we could go peeves and then your notes it's up to you well no i mean i don't really have many notes i i did want to call out 
little Rudy taking shelter from the rain is one of the saddest images I've seen on screen yes. in a long time. How did he fuck that up? Because, oh, that was a great turn in the movie. The first time he picks the kid up and the way it's shot, we kind of think he didn't show. Yep. And then he's across the street and the kid kind of mentions what we're all thinking. He's surprised that he showed up. Yeah. So that was a really cool turn of events and, and shot in a really fun way. Why didn't he show up that rainy day? Did he just forget? Like the character's not a space cadet. I don't think that was explained he was, well. Why he, well, he it's, it happens that. the same time that he is pissed off at the plumber that is over. Oh. And I think he gets preoccupied with that and just forgets. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he just flubbed it. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. But yeah, that was really my only other note. So go on with your fucking gripes. I've got some peeves to pet here. First one, I think, might be a little bit of a hot take. You tell me, Drew. There is not, in my opinion, one single good nickname for marijuana. They all stink. Every word yeah, you dumb. can use sucks. Like, so they, they go with pot, pot in this one. I hate pot, pot is maybe the worst. Pot or ganja are, are well, neck ganja is more, I feel like ironic but yeah. yeah but like when he says to laura linney in this movie do you want to smoke some pot and she does that kind of cliche no why do you have some and then it cut to the sand smoking weed all of a sudden it's just like every nickname i don't for, like calling weed, it weed either because like they weed, all stink and and if you call it cannabis you sound like you're a fucking highfalutin asshole oh and, yeah uh, like which I you know that's kind of where I tend to go just because hey I used to work in the industry at least I have some background yeah. that way with it but like yeah. here's a thought does grass need to make a comeback see I don't uh, grass might be the least egregious of all of these but it still stinks they all suck like every word seems like a cliche Mary Jane bad awful like sticky awful bud bud's not terrible but it still is a little lame i think grass i would be down for grass to come back but they just all they just all sound like shit so that's pet peeve number one it sounds like you kind of agree with that one i do pet peeve number two this one i think is going to be tougher to sell you on i really don't like when a scene has such a dramatic final line that is just shouting at me saying the scene's about to end. And there's, I think a really good example of one in this movie where I'm just like, that is such a fucking movie line. The world doesn't work like that. People don't talk that way. And that's not what happens. What's the line? The line is when Matthew Broderick and Laura Linney are in the office and they're, they're, they're trying to bury the hatchet. It's before the affair starts. It's the night that leads to the affair. And she offers to, that they go grab a beer together. I mean, I could go for a beer, and Matthew Broderick's like, I could go for a tranquilizer. And then the scene just slam ends, and they're in the restaurant already. And it's just such a like heavy-handed, like last last line of a scene sort of line. Does that make sense to you? It's just like it's so written and it's so sceney. And he's not like it'd be one thing if he was like moving towards the door. Or like, like they're getting ready to like, he just, he's buttoning up his coat and he just delivers, delivers it. And he's sitting there, standing there like an asshole. Like waiting for, waiting for the the clap. Waiting for the cut to be called or with the scene to end. And it just was like, that's just a bad line. And it's just such a heavy handed, like 
line line. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. It doesn't bother me, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, so there were a couple in the movie that were kind of like that to me. I was like, yeah, that was a little, yeah. Um, but, but that's it for my pet peeves, man. Did, and that and Lonergan not being a great performer, in my opinion, but great at everything else in this movie. Um, you have any peeves? Um, no, not in particular. I, I mean, it's not really a knock because he's a first-time filmmaker, but the way he shoots the car crash at the beginning of this movie is Ooh, really bad. It is really bad. You're poorly so right. edited, poorly co- like choreographed, and and uh, the the coverage all is just not right. It it yeah, somebody needed to step in, like some second unit mm. director needed to to take care of that scene for him. But other than oh. that, no real pet peeves. I'm really glad you you mentioned that because I totally agree. Shit. But there is something that's amazing in that sort of intro, and that is the performance of the police officer. That oh, yeah, is he's great. Really, really good. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a, it could be a best supporting supporting. He's barely in the movie, and he does help bring that whole small town feel into focus. Mm-hmm. How, like, when, when the kid first returns home, and like, it's, it, it, he's great at all times in this movie, but particularly when he's delivering the news. It's just all over his face, and I was like, damn, that was really nice. Really nice performance. No, he nails it. The actor's name is Adam Lefevre, or Lefevre. I don't I don't know how you would pronounce that, but um, I've actually seen him in a couple of things before. He's popped up as, as a side character in a couple of things that uh, I've, I've enjoyed him in. Um, an underrated comedy called She's Out of My League, he plays the dad of the, the main character. And uh, I actually really like that movie. It's, I mean, it's been years since I saw it, but I remember liking it in college. Anyway, yeah, good actor, and he really does nail that scene. Yeah, awesome. But that's it for me, Drew. You got any uh, closing thoughts on You Can Count On Me? Everyone go watch Margaret the Director's Cut on HBO. I mean, mm. if you like this... I mean, that movie, it's three hours, so, you know, strap in. You might want to break it up into two viewings, which is totally fine. Strap in, strap on, do what you got to do. But if you, yeah, sure. Uh, but if you are into just, like, intimate character dramas about, like, how people deal with the complexities of living, you know, I, I think this this guy is 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 it. Kenneth Lonergan has a, a really unique voice, and Margaret is... A fucking amazing movie. Um, Manchester by the Sea, definitely more depressing than either of these. It, you know, so definitely <laughs> buckle in for that one if, if that's what you're interested in. You know, Godspeed. Um, great, great movie, but just horribly depressing. So be ready for that. But definitely worth a watch as well. It's got some heft to it for sure. But yeah, I'm right there with you. Very good movie. Yeah, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts specifically on Margaret whenever you get around to that. Because yeah, I, I think you—it sounds like you are right on the wavelength of of Kenny. Oh yeah, dude, and I am. My um, my interests have been piqued. I'll say that, and I'm very excited about the existence of this director's cut. So, Drew, it's your week to nominate a replacement film to go on the dartboard in replacement of "You Can Count on Me." Are you kicking any around for the old dartboard? I'll throw one out there just because it's funny. I I looked back at my list a second ago, and one that jumped out to me was uh, the Darren Aronofsky movie Mother. And the reason is I think it would be funny to start every list with Mother! Yeah, Mother! Exclamation point! <laughs> Mother! 
Number one, mother. Number two, <laughs> a Kiru. It's like a rooster kicking off the thing. But I, I, I don't know if I can do that every week, twice a week. I don't know, man. Is the juice worth the squeeze? It's hard to tell. Should I do it, or should I go with with I another mean, it's one? Because I've got another neither, one. It's a movie neither of us have seen. I know it's a polarizing movie. I'm kind of interested in seeing it. Okay. Um, and you could always drop the bit, you know, if it becomes exhausting, <laughs> and you just want to say, if you just want to say, mother. Normally you can, but I think it'd be worth the shot. But I do want to hear the other contender. Well, the other the other option would be to put one of the Ruffalo ones on because I did enjoy that idea of the Brothers Bloom or Dark Waters uh, going mm. on in that spot, and I think both would be fun to cover. Um, you know, I think Dark Waters is right up my alley in the sense of it's it's like a fight the system kind of drama, mm-hmm. and Brothers Bloom is both of our wheelhouse with you know kind of con man snappy dialogue ryan johnson oh baby baby ah, yeah so it's it's a hard choice man between all three of those the one the one is purely for the bit of of the whole thing i i will say i am interested in seeing all of those movies and i have not seen any of them so okay uh i will let you just kind of steer it I i will say i think the one that sounds most interesting to me is is brothers bloom but you've already seen it, so there's an argument to be made for the other two as well. Let's do it. Let's do the Brothers Bloom. Is that the one you're most excited about, do you think? Because that's the way it should be. Which one excites you the I, Honestly, most? I'm equally excited about that and Dark Waters. I, I'm kicking Mother off just because I can't... I, I don't think I can do that every week. Maybe Mother is a better, like, 20. You know what I mean? That's Maybe a better it's a better 20, 20 a than better a 1. 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to pocket that number one. 20. Mother. <laughs> Damn it. Why didn't I think of that last week? That's all right. We'll get to, tw- we'll get to 20 eventually. All right. Well, brother's bloom is going on at number one. Fuck. Yeah, dude. That excites me, man. I'm, I'm, I, who knows when we'll hit it, but That'll that's, be fun. that's awesome, dude. Let's run through the board then. At number one, the Brothers Bloom. Number two, Akiru. Number three, Zed. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Nashville. Number 14, Straight Time. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, Altered States. Hell yeah, dude. Lefty, righty. What do you think? Righty. Let's do it. All right. I'll be back. Things might be getting a little fishy. Right, row. 13. Number 13 is Nashville. Nashville. Okay. Cause we, cause that was pretty recent. That was added, right? It was. It was uh, what two weeks ago? Yeah, it's like I was like I hit the thirteen. I was like I'm pretty sure we just hit this. Yeah, it was night moves. So two it weeks was, ago. Yeah. So we mirroring from- the first time we hit, you can count on me. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're so right. That's so weird. And in addition to that, we go from what like a number we haven't done for fifty numbers. It's so bizarre. Weird. Well. Mm-hmm. Next week, we will be covering Nashville, Robert Altman's, some would call masterpiece uh, from what I understand, but I haven't seen it. So we'll, we'll hold our judgment till after that. 1975's Nashville 
currently available to stream with money. You have to pay to rent it. That's that's the only way you can get it right now. Unfortunately. But hopefully it's worth it. We'll see what we think next week. But that'll do it this week for our episode on You Can Count On Me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mac. Later. Still saying it. Still saying it.